You're listening to the Leadership Upside Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Carriger. On this podcast, we discuss what successful leaders are doing, saying, and thinking. Now let's dive in. Welcome to the Leadership Upside Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Carringer. Our guest today is Bart McFadden. Bart is the president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Clubs of the Tennessee Valley. Bart, welcome to Leadership Upside. Thanks for having me today, Chuck. Pleasure to be here. Bart, as a starting point uh, to our conversation, can you tell us a little bit about your professional background and how long you've been in the role of president and CEO? Yeah, I. Uh, it's it's been a it's been a blessed journey. I know that much. Uh, I've been here in in Knoxville, Tennessee, as Boys and Girls Club, the Tennessee Valley, uh, for almost six years now. It's kind of crazy to say that. Uh, I arrived here in in March of 2016, uh, but prior to that, I was with Boys and Girls Clubs. I was the president and CEO for Boys and Girls Clubs of West Georgia, in a small town uh, known as Lagrange, Georgia about an hour southwest of Atlanta, was there for four years, and then previously had been in escalating roles in other Boys and Girls Club organizations in Spartanburg, South Carolina, um, Orlando, Florida, and then um, Las Vegas, Nevada. So I've been a little bit all over the country, but um, been with this great movement called Boys and Girls Clubs in a full-time capacity for about 18 years now. Uh, Bart, let's let's pause here a minute. Um, so you've, you've made a professional career. Um, uh, at least for the most part, uh, out of um, uh, being involved with the boys and girls clubs and yes. at different locations. And as you described, an escalating career, uh, advancing in uh, leadership responsibilities and in role. Um, compare, if you would, your role at uh, the LaGrange um, position to mm-hmm. what you're doing now in Knoxville and perhaps uh, give our listeners a little bit of the size of the scope of when you move from one leadership role to the next step. Give us a little bit of a picture of what that move was like for you. Um, coming from LaGrange, which uh, that was an organization that uh, when I got there in 2012, had about a $350,000 budget. When I left, we were about $850,000 uh, serving about 400 kids a day. Um, we've grown from serving about 150 to 400 kids a day. So we had some real growth, uh, during my time there, but coming to, to this role here in Knoxville, uh, an organization that was on the verge of a $9 million organization serving 14, 1500 kids a day, uh, going from a staff in LaGrange of four full-time people to 80 full-time people here. Uh, there's no doubt it was a quantum leap. Uh, and, and one that candidly uh, took some time for me to understand, took some time for me to embrace and gain command of. And um, it, it, there was a lot of learning in those first two to three years here in Knoxville. Um, I, I was really reflecting on that the other day as, as I come up on the six-year mark that those first three years, it was truly uh, an exercise in in learning not only the role, but how I needed to conduct myself in the role, if that makes sense. You know, in LaGrange, you have four full-time people. I did a little bit of everything. I didn't have a CFO. I didn't have a director of marketing or director of development or a VP of HR. I didn't have that team. I did a little bit of all those functions, which I'm thankful for because I know enough of those functions now to be 
uh, depending on your perspective, either dangerous or useful. <laughs> and uh, but so th- that was a big jump for me. And and one, you know, it, there were many times along the way I I wondered what our board of directors was thinking, uh, allowing me to make that jump at, at that point in time. Uh, Bart, I want to come back in a moment and and um, ask you to provide even greater context into. Uh, the, the organization you lead today. And you mentioned a little bit about the budget and staff size, but I want to really uh, give you an opportunity in a moment to expand on that. But before I do, I'm going to ask you just to think again about um, a listener, uh, a leader who is moving from one size of leadership role into a larger leadership role in a different organization. So this isn't someone who's um, promoting within where yeah. they have insight, what would you, what advice would you give to a leader who is going to step into a larger role in a new organization? Um, I think for me, there would be a couple of things. One, um, I, I've been blessed during my time here to, to have a, a great mentor uh, that has taught me a lot. And he taught me about um, uh, what he called in his organization, the 90 day coffee break. And just spending that time getting to know people, getting to know the how and the why things were the way they were. And uh, I was able to do a little bit of that, but we were at a place in the organization where we had to make some decisions uh, more quickly than that would have allowed. Uh, But I would encourage somebody to take that time to listen. But I think the other thing I would strongly encourage leaders as you as you make those those giant steps, you step into leadership of a new organization um, in a situation like that. Trust your gut. There were so many times where I looked at our situation here, and this is an amazing organization and has been an amazing organization for a long time, but we were in a period of transition and we were in a period of really having to to remake things. And I would look at things and go, okay, I'm seeing this. This is my perspective and this is what I'm seeing, but I'm hearing this. And the reality was what I was hearing was from a lot of people who had been in the organization for for a very long time, and it maybe gained a level of tunnel vision, didn't have mm. outside perspective to put our situation at the time into proper perspective. And so I didn't trust my gut. I trusted voices around me more than in retrospect, I wish I had, a, if that makes any sense. And I think that, um, you know, not trusting my gut, um, my God-given gut, for lack of a better term, and some of those things may have prolonged some of the decisions and transformation our organization needed to undergo. It's a great thought about the significance of uh, gaining a perspective um, and how it's possible for all of us to, when we have been in uh, a particular organization, uh, especially if we've been in the same role uh, for a while, how it's possible that um, we're missing some of the opportunities or, or maybe even what's visible to others who who uh, have fresh eyes. And uh, also a great reminder about uh, what your mentor said about the significance of building relationships. I love that phrase, the 90-day coffee break, and the significance of, of when you're new in a role, not to lose sight of the significance of relationships, even though you didn't have 90 days to uh, not take some action. His pers- the, your mentor's advice is still very well founded about the significance of relationships. Well, and, and I'll say this, as we've brought in new people, 
um, especially at the leadership level uh, in my time here. And, and since he introduced that concept to me, I think in late 2017 was when he introduced that concept to me as we've brought new people in and even brought some people back who had been here previously, uh, people who had, had a long tenure here, stepped away from the organization to go work and serve elsewhere and then come back to the organization. I've really held that standard of, hey, I want you to take in a nonprofit world. We don't have the margin that maybe some of the other businesses do, but maybe it's a 30 day, maybe it's a 60 day. But I want mm-hmm. you to take that time to really understand the environment we're in now. And uh, that's been very helpful for, for new leaders as they've come into our organization. That's good. Bart, let's get back to your leadership organization today, the Boys and Girls Clubs of the Tennessee Valley. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, give us a picture of the context, number of locations, staff side, size, organizational structure, key programs. I know uh, just recently, uh, at least a couple of your programs were highlighted uh, in the Knoxville market for the success they've had. Give us a, a, a high-level overview of your organization. Yeah, Chuck, you know, our ex- organization exists to um, – help every young person, uh, regardless of where they are, what their background is, to reach their full potential, as we say, as responsible, productive, caring citizens. And and we do that through a, a number of avenues and a number of methods. Um, first, and the thing that people are, are most uh, prominently associate Boys and Girls Clubs with is our out-of-school time programs, uh, after-school programs, uh, school day, uh, you know, when the kids are out of school for summer, spring break, we offer a lot of programs there. And uh, so often it gets lumped into the category of child care. But when you walk into one of our facilities, people are truly blown away by what they see. We focus a lot of our uh, programmatic efforts around educational support. And that's now more important than it's ever been for young people, especially coming out of COVID. We provide a lot of um, programming to support kids and their mental health. Uh, again, another element that has grown in importance during the time of COVID. Physical activity, making sure kids are physically active and healthy. Uh, and then last but not least, making sure that kids are learning good to be good citizens. And, uh, you know, I say all the time, it doesn't matter what your background is. Every child has something that they can offer to someone else to make their lives better. We all have a way to serve others to enrich their lives and it enriches ours and use our talents and gifts. So we want to make sure that every kid understands what their talents and gifts are. They're given opportunities to pursue those because ultimately what we're good at is what we become. So that's programmatically really where we uh, spend the large majority of our effort. Um, In terms of locations, we've got 21 locations uh, across Knox. Blunt, Loudon, and Anderson counties, those outlying counties around the Knox County area. We'll be opening a new site here in the next year up in Claiborne County, which is a very rural community up on the uh, Tennessee-Kentucky border. Uh, We serve just short of 7,000 kids a year and about 1,500 kids per day uh, in grades K through 12. So we serve the full gamut of school-age kids and um, really focus, like I said, on the educational piece. But as kids get into high school, it's making sure that they're graduating high school on time with the plan, whether that's post-secondary education, four-year, two-year, trade school, military, or going straight into the workforce. Bart, thanks for the work you do. Uh, It's an inspiring mission when you think about um, uh, an organization uh, that is, uh, for many listeners today, um, many are are likely uh, products of, of a positive impact of a local uh, boys or girls club 
uh, in their community or in a surrounding community that they were involved in and and uh, was a, I know for myself it was a a, a, a place where uh, myself and friends could engage in in uh, sport and athletics and and uh, build relationships there yep. and some great lifetime lessons from volunteer coaches who invested right. in us and and um, you know it's just when you hear the scope of that uh, at, at uh, an organization uh, like yours you appreciate. Um, you know, the, really, the the uh, number of people involved in helping uh, impact um, students and young people, but also uh, the uh, the fairly enormous leadership challenge. Uh, Bart, how is funding taken care of for your organization? How are you funded? Funding for us comes through a plethora uh, of sources, and, and funding is something uh, I've got a board member who talks about, you know, on the financial side, he said, you know, the nonprofit world, you never score the touchdown and win the game. You know, you, you're never able to, you know, say, hey, we're there now. And uh, that that's very true. Um, like I said a little bit earlier, we're about a $10.5 million budget now, uh, which is a pretty large budget uh, in, in this part of the world. And um, so we Three and a half million a year comes from private donors, uh, private donations. Uh, we have a large number of federal contracts and grants, um, not only at the federal level, but also the state level as well. Our local United Ways are great partners of ours. And then we work a lot with uh, private and family foundations, and corporate foundations uh, to create and generate programming that uh, is important to those individuals, but is also very enriching for our kids. So it's a pretty diverse, uh, powerful um, cocktail of funding that it takes to, uh, you know, like I said, serve almost 7,000 kids a year here in the region. Uh, Bart, let's uh, uh, segue from the uh, discussion on funding. As CEO and president, where do you put your focus? Like on a typical day, typical week, typical month, typical time of the year, I'm not sure um, in your leadership role really how you break that down, but you know, where do you place your focus as the CEO and president? You know, you, you could look at that a lot of different ways. Um, the majority of my time, though, Chuck, is spent with other people. Uh, whether they be internally or externally, uh, there is very little time that I spend alone. I, I, I have to to conscientiously carve that time out uh, each week uh, to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna tackle some strategic things and, and really put some thought to trends and, and and things like that. But the majority of my time, I would say, eighty to ninety percent of my time is spent with other people. Problem solving, vision casting, um, understanding what they're seeing, what opportunities do we have, what's coming our way um, externally, helping uh, you know the donors in our community who have a passion to see things better, how they can fulfill their vision for the community uh, through supporting the Boys and Girls Clubs, working with other community leaders to craft uh, programs and activities and strategies that are going to ensure that young people in this community have the opportunities. The majority of my time is spent with other people. Uh, literally this morning, I had breakfast with a partner of ours, a great partner uh, that's been a partner of ours for almost 30 years and spent some time with their executive director. And we've really talked about the need for even more of that. Mm -hmm. We've really spent time just talking about 
Here's what we're doing together. Here's what could be on the horizon. Uh, him asking questions to me about how uh, I go about things, me doing the same with him. So, so much of that time is spent with other people in relationship toward the common goal we have for the greater good of kids. Uh, Bart, there are, there will be a few other CEOs who will uh, be listening, I'm certain, uh, to this podcast and many people who aren't CEOs, they're in leadership roles, but they're not the, the CEO of their organization uh, yet. Um, what are some unique challenges that you have found in the CEO and president chair that are just simply uh, unique to that role? A little bit like if you we were talking sports. Uh, there are, um, we'll take a college football team. There are a number of people who play vital roles, leadership roles, significant roles in helping to, to, uh, help that team be successful. But there ultimately is one head coach. And, um, I'm curious, um, what's it been like for you being the quote head coach or, mm-hmm. uh, of the boys and girls clubs of Tennessee Valley? I think that the thing being being in this role, being the head coach, and I love the sports analogy. I'm a sports guy. You have to keep the greater good for everything in mind at all times, and and you're going to be getting input and feedback from a plethora of of sources that have their perspective. But being able to synthesize all of that into a decision, into a strategy, into a plan is unique to this role you know for for us our um our cfo would make very different decisions than our chief development officer mm-hmm. and our vp of hr right um and they all have different valuable keen perspectives but being able to synthesize all of that every time and i think for me one of the hardest things and it's easy to say it but it's hard to do because you grow so close to those that you lead very closely is in, in my role, the decisions I make has to be in the best interest of the organization. Uh, you know, I, I shared a story about a mentor a little bit earlier uh, on the 90 day coffee break. I had another gentleman who really reframed my perspective on this role um, a few years back. He said, Bart, your job is not to serve kids. Your job is to make sure there's a strong organization there capable of serving kids. Mm. And that really shifted my perspective because I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't go into our education centers or our games rooms or our gymnasiums. And I go and, and get a feel of the kids every once in a while just to have those uh, warm and fuzzies. But our staff are the ones there serving kids every day, changing lives. I've got to make sure our organization is as equipped as possible to do that every day. Yeah, another great piece of advice. And I think sometimes it's difficult, especially for first-time organizational leaders, the first-time head coaches, first-time CEOs and presidents, to recognize that their responsibilities have shifted and those yes. uh, those aspects of leadership that they used to do and probably did really well. In fact, they might still do them potentially um, a little bit better than the person who's in that role now. Uh, it's mm-hmm. sometimes difficult for those leaders. And I, I coach a number of people who would fit that bill. And we've navigated through the challenge of, hey, that's no longer yours. 
you got to coach up the person doing it, but you can't do the work. You've got another responsibility now. So another piece of great advice. Um, Bart, how did COVID, uh, how did you all navigate the uh, COVID uh, as an organization? Well, um, it, it's, it's interesting. COVID truly transformed our organization. Um, it, it really helped us clarify so many things. I, I, I go back to um, March 13th of last year when everything shut down. And this, this had been, there had been the lead up, right? And we had made a decision. I mean, you saw all this stuff going on and, you know, in different parts of the world, you had a really uh, bad um, number of cases on the West Coast in the Seattle area. It was starting to get up in New York. And boys and girls clubs across the country, organizations like us were shutting down left and right. We made a decision because we were looking around the local landscape and said, okay, this doesn't make sense for us to close. Kids are out of school. We made the commitment that we were going to stay open and serve kids in person as long as we could safely do so. We never intended that it was never a, we're going to do this regardless. It's just, okay, we can do this tomorrow. We can do this tomorrow. And doing it tomorrow turned into ultimately we never closed our doors a single day to kids. We had to consolidate and reconfigure and, and we were doing that almost on an hourly basis there for a while. So we learned a lot about the ability to make sound decisions quickly. It empowered to do that. We had to empower a lot of people to make decisions. So the leadership capacity of our organization grew uh, during COVID um, significantly. Uh, it also, like I said, it helped us clarify our why. You hear that all the time. What's your why? Um, we really clarified our why around meeting the needs of kids, period. And, um, you know, if you think about those first few weeks when kids were out of school and parents had to work and there was just a lot of uncertainty, we were the stable, safe place for parents to know they could put their kids, they could go to work, their kids were going to be taken care of, their kids, I mean, we realized, hey, they're not going back to school. So we said, there's going to be some time dedicated to education wellness, these kinds of things, but it really helped us clarify what mattered most to the kids that we serve as well. Marta, that's fantastic. I didn't realize that you had not um, uh, closed uh, at all uh, during uh, COVID. And I love how you described um, some of the, the benefits organizationally that came from COVID. No one would have desired that they come that way. But now as you look back on it, uh, the impact uh, of empowering more people, um, which, you know, just increased your leadership capacity as an organization because now you've got people who have actually led and the impact you made ultimately in clarifying, as you said, clarifying your why, the impact you made for kids. You help, yep. help children, young people during a time where we were all trying to get through that day. And, and Absolutely. so um, I love how you describe that. Hey, we can get through today. And and perhaps have a plan for tomorrow when today closes and 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 we'll go from there. Bart, you work with a board of directors, which uh, for some people would, they would be accustomed to that and familiar with that. Others that would be a very new situation. Although they might find themselves in a leadership role someday that did that. First of all, what's it like working with a board of directors, and what advice would you have for another CEO or executive director? 
working with a board of direction, when you have a committed group of volunteers at your disposal, and that's, I mean, our board is a volunteer board. It's a group of people that's committed to the mission of the organization. We got a fairly large board. Um, you know, there, there are times where our board's about 32, 33 people. So it's a large board and, and maintaining relationships with that number of people can be challenging uh, on the level that you need to have that relationship. But they are, every one of those individuals brings a unique skill set. They bring a level of expertise, but they all bring passion. And being able to deploy those individuals towards strategic opportunities um, that can improve our organization, that, that's the power for us. I think the other thing, working with the board of directors, is consistently clear, clarifying and defining how you need them to work. Hmm. Um, I think so often nonprofit boards, especially um, their role can feel so big and so vague that they don't know what to do. So they're just paralyzed and, and, and a lot of times may do nothing. But your high performing boards, uh, I'm proud to say our board was recently named uh, as the high performance board of the year uh, by Boys and Girls Clubs of America. And it really symbolized um the work that they do. So we've really worked to have a very clear strategy for our board. You know, like I said, 30 people, but we're broken down into only three committees. Five years ago, our board had 15 committees, Chuck. And, and, and I mean, it, it was the, as you know, in the church world, you had the committee on committees almost. And, but we really streamlined that down to three committees and every committee has a broad enough scope of work that they're always wrestling with a key uh, critical issue, but it's narrow enough to where they can really focus on it and they can really feel like they're moving the ball forward in that particular area, whether it's for us development uh, operations and then administration. So those are our three committees and they tackle things in those three areas. So everybody is kind of placed on one of those committees in the area of their gifting, but also in the area of their passion. Very good. Very good. Bart, let's, let's transition to organizational culture. You have mm-hmm. multiple sites. You have a large staff. You have, as you just described, even a large board. You have hundreds of volunteers that, that serve uh, thousands of um, kids every day. Have you gone about creating an organizational culture that makes the Boys and Girls Clubs a great place for kids and for volunteers and staff. Yeah. I think our organizational culture transformed itself two years ago. About a couple of months prior to COVID, we had the opportunity to hire a new chief operating officer and was able to bring back a gentleman, and I'll say his name, Marcus Jackson, their chief operating officer. Marcus had spent about 20 plus years in this organization, grew up in this community, was served by this organization as a child. And then he left in 2015 to work for our national organization. And bringing him back and knowing the changes we needed to make and bringing him back in with such newly acquired perspective, broad perspective that he had gotten working with 40, 50 organizations, different Boys and Girls Club organizations. I learned the power of two people being the catalyst for culture change. 
And having him, and she, he and I shared that vision. We shared the commitment to accountability. We shared the commitment to uh, quality, all that kind of stuff. The power of two people. And I had, you know, again, uh, sharing other people. I don't have any original ideas, Chuck. So I'm, I'm glad you didn't bring me on for original ideas. And I had a, a pastor friend of mine several years ago tell me, Bart, two people are what creates a culture. One person can't do it alone. And three, it'll start to get diluted. Two people, shared vision. And so we've really done that. And then what we've done is we've been able to expand our leadership team. Okay. Five years ago, our leadership team consisted of four people. Now our leadership team consists of 10 representatives from every segment of the organization. And then even going down the level to our director level so that those key critical ideas can be synthesized together. But then once those decisions are made, it's much easier for it to filter down because they were part of the process. It's really enhanced organizational trust. It's really enhanced transparency. Uh, People don't feel like things are being done to them or around them. They're part of the process. And they're really able to help convey that to, you know, we, we employ over 200 people. Um, we employ 130, 140 part-time people who they're coming in for 15, 20 hours a week. So it's you've got to really communicate that stuff to them because they're not part of those decisions. Uh, so being able to do that, starting it with two, cascading it down to a leadership team that's got representation from every organ, every part of the organization and a couple of layers of it has really helped transform the culture of our organization too. We, we, we really have adopted two phrases. One is do the work, hmm. do the work. You know, as we, as COVID happened and, and so many people were trying to figure out what, what can we do? What should we do? We just said, we're going to, we're going to do the work. It was that clarifying moments that we had that I shared earlier. And the other we've uh, adopted is modeling the way we're here to model the way uh, for our young people but I've got to model it for our leadership team who has to model it for our frontline staff. Uh, Bart, I, I, I just love that model the way because, um, you know, there, there isn't an opt out to leading by example. It's, it's, we are leading by example. We're always leading by example. Sometimes our example is not all that we wish it were, but um, we nonetheless, we're leading uh, by example. It's the most powerful way to, to uh, transfer, and communicate leadership uh, through actions. And if your words align with your actions, now you've really got something. Um, thanks for sharing that about uh, organizational culture. Earlier, you mentioned uh, strategic planning and how from time to time, although the bulk of your days are with people, from time to time, you need some quiet time to think strategically and look down the road into the future. I'm curious, as an organization, how do you go about strategic planning and looking a year ahead uh, and perhaps three or five or however far you go. How do you do that organizationally? Well, we, we kind of changed it up a few years ago and um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of a you know 25 um, slide PowerPoint presentation with all this kind of stuff. We really boiled our strategic plan down to four key elements that we feel are critical foundational elements for strong organizational performance. And for us, those are um, an efficient business model. It's philanthropy, creating a culture of philanthropy in the organization, talent and impact, uh, having great people in our clubs, working with our kids, 
And the last piece is that board governance piece, um, bringing that board of directors because ultimately they are the leaders for the organization. So those are our four key elements in our strategic plan. And I'll tell you this, Chuck, I don't know, 20 years from now, you and I could be sitting here talking. I'd probably still be talking about those four key elements mm-hmm. and you know different things within it. Um, but we just, we're actually getting ready to start the process here soon of updating the targets within those four things. Uh, what's, what are our next steps in those four fundamental elements of the organization? We really wanted to streamline it. Our organizational uh, strategic plan literally sits on one sheet of paper. Uh, it's not a it's not a book. It, we didn't need a binder on this one. Yeah. Uh, it sits on one sheet of paper. It's very clearly understood by everybody internally and externally, and that makes it very measurable and actionable. Bart, your your concluding comments to that question were just what I was thinking. Is I love the simplicity, mm-hmm. the clarity around uh, your strategic plan. You know, I love the simplicity of what you were describing in terms of, of hey, here are our uh, areas of focus, even with culture. You seem to organizationally have taken what's most important to you and made it something that others, it's, it's straightforward enough that others can understand it, mm-hmm. can buy into it, can be a part of it, and can repeat it. Um, you know, it's not something that it's like, well, we had 27 key points and, you know, no one can remember uh, more than than just, you know, one, two or three of them. So, yeah, kudos for the simplicity and the straightforwardness of your the key elements of your organization and in this case, strategic planning. Well, I think I, one other thing I want to say to that within our strategic plan, you know, the simplicity of the plan aligns with the simplicity of that board structure that I talked about mm-hmm. earlier. Correct. So each one of those areas of the strategic plan is owned by one committee of the board, mm-hmm. which is aligned to the, the structure of our leadership team. So really, I mean, everybody has a part in all of it, but ownership is aligned across the board. Bart, you have a demanding job, tons of responsibility. How do you go about keeping yourself uh, at your best? What 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 do you do for yourself that makes you your best self? Probably, I, I, I don't know. You know, one thing, several things I do um, before I start, before I actually get out of the bed every morning, um, I start the day with with pretty deep and intense prayer. Um, I, I do it silently now. So I don't wake my wife up. Um, but then two, um, you know, at the end of every day, kind of recalibrating, okay, what got done today? What needs to be done tomorrow? What's the most important thing for the next day? Um, just in terms of how I use time. Um, so that, um, you know, as you said, there, there's a lot of demands and a lot of things that pop up during the day. Um so making sure that I've got a clear clarity of plan of how the time is going to be spent the following day and that I don't I take the last 30 minutes of every day and make sure loose ends are tied up. Hmm. Uh, it really helps me compartmentalize uh, so that I can go home. And when I'm at home, uh, by and large, hopefully I'm able to be fully present there because I'm not just the CEO of the Boys and Girls Club. I'm, I'm Kelly's husband. I'm Samuel and Emma's dad. I've got to be great in those areas too. And I, I hope I am uh, many times, uh, but being able to do that and lay that out 
And then I try to try to stay physically fit. I fail (laughs) (laughs) more often than not um, as my doctor, but, um, but try to do that. And, but, and just staying connected to the people that really do matter the most. Awesome. Bart, let me uh, just get a little bit of clarification on your end of day routine that, that thinking through, um, you know, basically how did today go? What, what are reflecting on, Hey, what, what are the, the takeaways or the significant moments of today? And what do I need to go do tomorrow? What's most important tomorrow? Uh, do you do that mentally? Is that something you've just trained yourself to? And is it, and that, is that a matter of a couple of minutes? Do you write anything down? How long does that take you? I, ju- I just want those listening today to have perhaps a little bit better insight into that. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's about, uh, it, it's probably about a 15 minute thing. And I, and I do, I put it in writing. Um, here's, here were, here were today's wins. Here were today's losses. And there are some, um, put those down and what do we need to do with them? Is there a next step with any of them? And then literally laying out and writing down. And I, I still put it, I mean, I'll put it in my phone, but I'll also put it on a, on a piece of paper too. Um, and, and just write it down. There's something for me about writing it down. Here's tomorrow. What's got to happen. And, um, you know, if there's 20 things on that list, there's always 20 things on that list, right? But these three or four things are the most critical to getting mm-hmm. done tomorrow to move our organization forward, to uh, move my better self forward, whatever it is. Here's the three or four things that have to get done. These are the non-negotiables for tomorrow. But I find that that daily practice is a common element in many uh, highly effective leaders, some form of, as part of the closeout process on today, uh, what went well, uh, you know, what didn't go as well, where are opportunities tomorrow, what, and what do I need to hit the hit, make sure that tomorrow these are my top items. As you said, um, there's a to-do list that that is longer than you'll have time to get to tomorrow. Um, and you know that going in that, hey, I'm probably not going to get everything on this list, but what do I really need to bring attention to? Um, I appreciate you unpacking that uh, for everyone who's listening. Bart, this has been fantastic. Anything else you'd like to mention? No, I just thank you for, for, for having me on. Thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit. Uh, I just encourage people. We live in a, in a rough and tumble world right now. Um, and, and just like we talked about with the organization, uh, things can get very complicated at times, but simplify. If you can simplify things for yourself on a, on a regular basis, a daily basis, and pursue what matters most to you, you'll be able to carry out uh, God's plan for your life. And that's it. Awesome. Bart, thank you so much. Thanks for being on Leadership Upside. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leadership Upside, where we discuss what successful business leaders in diverse organizations are doing, saying, and thinking. Today, our guest has been Bart McFadden. For more information about the Boys and Girls Clubs of the Tennessee Valley, please visit their website, bgctnv.org. Let me say that again, bgctnv.org. Until next time on Leadership Upside, I'm Chuck Carringer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. Head over to chuckcarringer.com for more information.